The Tragedy of Cinema podcast is intended as a family-friendly program that by extension strives to be inclusive to all people regardless of their ethnicity, gender, creed, or any other identifying factors in this incredibly diverse world of ours. With that said, some of the films we discuss may contain serious subject matters or have content considered morally objectionable by today's standards. We do not intend to condone or dismiss these aspects of these films, but our primary focus will be on what we believe our film succeeds at, some fun facts, and our personal enjoyment factors of each film. With that said, we hope you enjoy the show. is simple. People are perfect. And everything is black and white. Honey, I'm home. It's a place that's as far from reality as we can imagine. How about some marshmallow rice squares? Those are swell. But maybe it's a lot closer that. than we think. What happened? I'm not sure. <gasps> Look at me. I'm pasty. Morning, kids. Better get a move on or you'll be late for school. I put blueberries in them just the way you like. We're in Pleasantville? No! We're supposed to be in school. We're supposed to be in color? What's all the commotion? Who's that? I didn't think you'd want to come here until we'd been pinned for a little while. You can pin me anytime you want to. Or maybe I should just pin you. She's a fine young woman. She would never do anything for us to be concerned about. From the creator of Big and Dave. What are you doing to these people? You can't do this to them. You're messing with their whole universe. Maybe it needs to be messed with David. Comes a story about the loss of innocence. Oh, I brought you something from the library. Gee whiz. And the power of change. Well, what's outside of Pleasantville? There's some places where the road keeps going. Cinema presents. Look at my face. It'll go away. I don't want it to go away. Something is happening to our town. Jeff Daniels, William H. Macy, Joan Allen, Reese Witherspoon, and Toby McGuire. So, what's going to happen now? I don't know. Pleasantville. What are we going to do, Bob? Well, we're safe for now. Thank goodness we're in a bowling alley. All right, guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast. I'm your host, Jimbo. And I'm your co-host, Kyle. Kyle, today we'll be talking about the movie Pleasantville from 1998. Or Pleasant Ills, as as Jimbo calls it. Personally, one of my favorite movies, I think. Uh, Very well done, so we'll get to it. Uh, But Kyle, first, before we start. Questions? Answers? Kyle? Possibly. What is your favorite Reese Witherspoon movie? Favorite? Oh, Legally Blonde. 
Easy. Really? <laughs> just immediately. Yeah, yeah, Legal Bum's great. I think Overnight Delivery was I'm pretty good. It's you probably never even saw that. Sweet, Sweet Home Alabama. Sweet uh, over, no, no, I've seen no, Sweet Home Alabama. Overnight Delivery. Overnight Delivery. I've not it's seen that. It's her and Paul Rudd. I, th- I think Paul. it's Paul Rudd where he's trying to get back a breakup note to his girlfriend on Valentine's Day. Oh, yeah. And he hooks up with Reese Witherspoon trying to drive across the country. And this FedEx guy has the package or UPS. Mm-hmm. And it's his job to deliver that letter. They're trying to stop him the whole thing. <laughs> it's pretty funny. So That sounds pretty silly. Pretty good, though. Um, but Kyle, yeah, let's go ahead and take this away. Okay, Jimbo, go. Oh, right. Yeah, I'll, I, that, That's on me. That's <laughs> my part of the yeah, show. Kyle, that's where you guys are for podcast Kyle, Take it away. <laughs> Kyle's like, okay, Jimbo, go ahead. And I'm like... <laughs> Oh, that Jim, was no, no. It's your cue. That's your cue. Oh, got it. Got it. Got it. We're so professional here at the Tragic Sim Podcast. You don't even know. All right, Pleasantville or Pleasant Ills, as Jimbo calls it, which I thought would be a good name for like a rap group, Pleasant Ills, but that's just me. Okay, Pleasantville released on October twenty third of nineteen ninety three. We're actually recording this just after the twenty fifth anniversary of the film, by the way. So it's pretty cool on us. Um, but it follows the story of two teenage siblings in nineteen nineties find themselves trapped or transported in a nineteen fifties sitcom where their influence begins to finally change the world into a colorless, complacent world into a complicated, messy one. So pretty cool on that front. Directed by Gary Ross. Written also by Gary Ross. Produced by Bob Bob Degas, John Killick, Gary Ross, and Steven Soderbergh. Composed by Randy Newman. Cinematographer by John Lindley. Editor William Goldenberg. And casting directors Ellen Lewis and Deborah Zane. Can't, uh... Gosh, the details you should cover. Budget of the film, I'm a little bit off track today, clearly. <laughs> the budget for the film was $60 million. Just for inflation, that'd be about $113.3 million today. So pretty impressive considering all the kind of like special effects they were doing for this film especially because like a lot of stuff was like first of its time and only for its time. This specific movie for its kind of color to, I mean, colorless to color needs. You know, many things would just be off-handed to digital effects today, which is, you know, not in this film for many occasions. Opening weekend, though, it bombed hard, making just $8.85 million. Um, just in relation to about $16.7 million today, so a little more than, like, you know, a tenth of the budget, even, like, 15%, roughly, so that's incredibly small. Um, gross worldwide, though, it made $40.6 million. Just for inflation, it'd be about $76.6 million today, so it's a little over half clearing um, in terms of gross Canadian, Canadian um, uh, U.S. and Canadian um, earnings. And then worldwide, it just made another $9.5 million, which amounts to about a $18 million difference just for inflation. So um, this film, like, that brings up about $50 million of, like, 1998, brings about $94 million now. Um, so, yeah, this film, like, lost money, especially probably from the marketing end, especially, as well. Uh, so, do, but, um, do, you, do you know what all the movies that came out in 1998 are? Do you, do you want to just see what the competition was? Was 98, like, an all-star year, Jimbo? Tell well, me. Well, let's just go. Number one, Titanic. <laughs> yeah. Two, Armageddon. Three, Saving Private Ryan. Four, <laughs> Something About Mary, The Waterboy, Dr. Doolittle, Godzilla, Deep Impact, Rush Hour, Goodwill Hunting, Lethal Weapon 4, A Bug's Life, The Truman Show, As Good As It Gets, The Mask is Oral, Enemy of the State, Ants, Rugrats Movie, X-Files, Wedding Singer, City of Angels, Horse Whisperer, Six Days, Seven Nights, Blade, Lost in Space. I mean, you've got Jimbo, what I'm hearing from this is that cinema is a pale shadow of what it was 25 years ago. What dreams may come, (laughs) Halloween H2O, Prince of Egypt, Small Soldiers, Star Trek Insurrection, Tomorrow Never Dies, Patch Adams, Meet Joe Black, The Negotiator... Uh, the Siege, I Still Know What You Did Last Summer, 
and then Pleasantville came in at like number fifty one for that year. Oh my gosh! But I mean, look at I mean Bride of Chucky. I mean, look at all yeah. of these Spice World. In- incredible. <laughs> the Grease re release. <laughs> Scream two. I mean, Fallen. Uh, that's just. It's an all-star. Mighty year. Joe Young, Psycho, the remake of Psycho. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, there's just so much. Okay. The Wizard of Oz re-release. Mm-hmm. It'll be a 50-year so, anniversary in 98. All I'm going to say is it, it had some competition. Yeah, it was a big year for movies that year. So, yeah. And, man, I wish we were back to some years like that where, like, well, every, that's just, that's every just, movie that every came out. Every week, like, a new banger, basically. Right. Of just, like, this is, this is a movie movie. <laughs> so, awesome right there. Um, so, yeah. So, unfortunately, it kind of fell beneath the cracks. Uh, <laughs> fell, fell between the cracks of this year, of such a strong year. Um, but also, I'm sure this movie, on the back end of, like, DVD, Blu-rays, and now digital sales, I'm sure this movie has made back its return and then some, I imagine. So that's good on this because like this movie is so good, it leaves a lasting legacy. So that's great on that front. Um, so cool there. Um, moving on, some of the technical details of the film, which, man, I'm misplacing everything today. Oh, my gosh. Where did I put it? That's just where I put it. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I misplaced the castle. Really? There it is, Jimbo. I found it. I got it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Gosh, we're going to move on to the awards section. Oh, no, a technical detail. No, yeah, awards. I'm going to well, awards. will you make up your mind? Oh, You're all over the place today. I, I know, I know, I know, I know. I, I, I thought I was repaired. Turns out I am uh, disrepaired. <laughs> In disrepair. Okay, this movie was nominated for Everything Under the Moon, and it won a handful of things. So I'm going to try and highlight some of the cooler nominations and then try and count all the wins I can I can catch here. Um, but immediately, we're going to check in here. This film was nominated for three Oscars. Unfortunately, it didn't win them. But I'm going to list off the, uh, the um, nominations here. It had nomination for Best Costume Design, um, Best Art Direction, Set Direction, and Best Music for Original Dramatic Score. This one, of course, also, like, once again, from Closer, Randy Newman from, like, you know, Toy Story fame and a bunch of other great films, um, The Monk TV Show. Just, ah, what a great composer. Um, awesome there. You know, song Short People, which is hilarious. Um, going on to the 1999 the awards for a science fiction, fantasy, and horror films. It won the award for Best Supporting Actress, awarded to Joanne Allen. Um, nominations for um, Best Costumes, and also won Best Performance by a Younger Actor or Actress, awarded to Tobey Maguire of Spider-Man fame. And then going on to the 1999 Costume Designers Guild Awards, it won the award for Excellence in Costume Design for a Film. The 1999 Dallas-Fort Worth Film Critic Association Awards, it won the award for Best Supporting Actress to Joanne Allen. Um, going on for the 1999 Online Film and Television Association Awards, it was nominated for Best Comedy or Musical Actress, Best Makeup and Hairstyling, Best Comedy and Musical Picture, Best Visual Effects, Best Cinematography, Best First Feature, um, Best Music Original Comedy for Musical Score, Best Supporting Actress, and it won Best Music or Adapted Song for Fiona Apple's Across the Universe, which is a great recording of that song. Then for the 1999 Online Film and Online Film Critics Society Awards, it won the um, Top 10 Films of the Year at 4th place and for Best Supporting Actress to Joanne Allen. Then going on to the PGA Awards, where it won it won the Most Promising Producer in Theatrical Motion Pictures award to Gary Ross. Um, in the 1999 Satellite Awards, it won the award for Best Actress and Supporting Role in a Motion Picture, Comedy, or Musical to Joanne Allen, and Best Original Screenplay to Gary Ross. And then for the 1999 Southeastern Film Critics Association Awards, it won the, the award for Best Supporting Actress to Joanne Allen again. 
Joanne Allen just hitting it strong this year. That was a great. That was a great role she played in this movie. Yeah. Then for the 1999 Young Hollywood Awards, it won the Young. Uh, they won Warren Ward to I believe it's Toby McGuire here, but I don't see the actual listing. It got cut off on the printer. Oh no, the printer had the award, uh, but it's okay. We'll move on from that one. Then for the 1998 Boston Society of Film Critic Awards, we had the. Um, it won the Best Supporting Actor Award for um, William H Macy who tied, actually, with Billy Bob Thornton for the film A Simple Plan, I guess released the same year, and also won Best Supporting Actress for Joanne Allen, and came in second place for Best Cinematography to John Lindley. And then finally, for the 1998 Los Angeles Film Critics Association Awards, it won the award for Best Production Design and Best Supporting Actress. So that's going to include the awards of the film. Some of the technical details include this film was 124 minutes long, had a sound mix of Adobe Digital surround sound systems, Color info, this is both a black and white and a color film. Jimbo, you have a crazy expression on your face because you think I'm going to make a terrible joke. I'm not. I'm not. Um, well, yeah, let's right. just say the censors have been on high alert space <laughs> recently. So. Recently, like two years ago. Um, but yeah, the camera um, was used. The cameras used was the Panavision cameras and lenses. <laughs> and it was um, 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 uh, processed in the Hollywood Deluxe California Laboratories. Um, process. This film did receive a digital intermediate 2K remaster in the early 2000s, uh, late 2000s, or 2010s probably. And this, of course, had a printed format on the 35mm film. Um, filming dates were from March 1st, 1997 to July 2nd, 1997. That's a really short turnaround for a film production overall, especially one of this scope. So that's cool there on technical details. Moving on, finally here, we're going to go to the cast. The cast is amazing for Pleasantville. And I'm probably going to miss a few people here that are well worth mentioning, but because it's such a large cast, it's like I might miss some people in the shovel. Especially since the list itself is a little bit like the big actors are spread in between the whole well, list Well, I'll here. throw this out there because you probably don't know this, and they're probably not in the cast list. But mm-hmm. guess who was an extra in this movie? Tell me, Jimbo. Jenna Fisher from The Office. Pam Beasley herself Ooh. was an extra in this, according to her, on her Office Ladies podcast. That's like one of the least surprising things, Ashley. <laughs> <laughs> like, she, she, she has such a... Baby a, a, face. A, yeah, yeah, baby face, classic Hollywood girl look, kind of look to it a little bit. Yeah, of a... Yeah, of a <laughs> I can't think of the words to express it properly, but you, you get what I mean, I'm sure. Um, so, um, moving on here, um, first in the cast list is William H. Macy playing the role of George. What an amazing actor William H. Macy is. Um, William H. Macy also, of course, easily most um, recognizable for the film Fargo in 1996. Um, first one in my the Mystery Man Mystery in 1999. <laughs> amazing movie where he's the shovel guy, uh, the shovel man or whatever the role was. Um, Jurassic Park 3 in 2001. Um, we're like Wild Hogs, and I Think, I always think of it like he looks like a real life Ned Flanders to me. <laughs> That's what I always oh, want to think of. Like, you know. TV show uh, Shameless. Oh, yeah. That is Frank. Which I think just ended like last year. Yeah. I think, but it's really like, like seasons, I think. Oh, yeah, like nine or 11 years, something like that. So, yeah, that's a huge role for him as well. I need to watch the show sometime because it looks really good. Um, moving on here, we have Joanne Allen playing the role of Betty. Um, Joanne Allen, also in the course of films like um, Face Off in 1997. Um, she was in the Bourne series of films, the, the, the Matt Damon Bourne series. So, the Bourne Supremacy and Bourne Ultimatum in 2004 and 2007. And I think she was also in Jason Bourne and the Bourne Legacy films as well. But a lot of people didn't watch those movies. <laughs> um, she was also in Room in 2015. 
Then next up, we have Natalie Ram- Ramsey playing the role of a literal Mary Sue. Mary Sue. <laughs> um, Natalie Ramsey was also in the film Cherry Falls in 1999. And she was also in the television show Beyond the Break from 2006 to 2009. Next up, we have Kevin Connors playing the TV version of The Bud. Um, Kevin Connors was also in the film Phantasm 3, Lord of the Dead in 1994. One of the other films we're going to look calling up. No, Phantasm 1, looking to here pretty soon as well. So pretty fun there. Then next up, we have Jeff Daniels playing the role of Mr. Johnson. Um, Jeff Daniels um, was also in the film, of course, um, easily recognizable in the film Dumb and Dumber in 1994, <sighs> along with Jim Carrey. Would probably be his most iconic role for his entire career, uh, for better and for ill. <laughs> it's great, because he, he's such a great dramatic actor, too. But I feel like like if, if like there's one movie you have to just know what like his big movie was. had to be Dumb and Dumber. Dumb and Dumber right? yeah. It had to be. had to be. Um, but um, he was also in films such as Arachnophobia in 1990 and The Squid and the Whale in 2005 and many other great roles as well. Jeff Daniels, amazing actor. Love him to death. Then necked up for basically the... Um, you say necked up? Next up. That's oh, what they I'm said saying. necked up. Necked, <laughs> necked, get necked up, y'all. We're moving on to Tobey Maguire. <laughs> That sounds wrong, actually. Pick yourself before you nick yourself. <laughs> Making new words all the time. Um, so, <laughs> you need to come out with like your own encyclopedia, you know. Yeah, I would say uh, I would say um, both him and Reese for this movie are kind of like the dual protagonists of the film. But for the male protagonist of the film, we have Tobey Maguire playing the role of. David, um, who's basically you know the second of two main leads, I believe, for the film. Tobey Maguire, of course, easily most recognizable as the Spider-Man, like kind of like maybe the definitive Spider-Man for many people for a lot of years to come. But of course, Spider-Man one, two, and three released in two thousand two, two thousand four, and two thousand five, two thousand seven, respectively. And of course, the um, last Spider-Man film, uh, which was I think No Way Home or whatever was the name of it, I think it was No Way Home. Um, and that of course was a, a amazing film as well, uh, as well. And he was also in the film The Great Gap. That's being 2013. For those that were in high school around that time, you probably saw that film as <laughs> well. And Brothers in 2009. So, amazing career on his own right there. Tommy McGuire doing a lot of great stuff. And I think he was also in like the recent like, um, Babylon with Margaret Robbie and Matt Damon, if I remember correctly. No, uh, Brad Pitt, I mean, not Matt Damon. Um, that was a cool movie as well. Um, next up, we got J.T. Walsh playing the role of Mayor Big Bob. Um, J.T. Walsh is a great actor himself as well. Um, he was in the film's Breakdown in 1997, where I learned to fear him as a child, and he was also in the film The Negotiator in 1998. That was one of those um, Samuel Jackson, Kevin Spacey flicks, if I remember correctly. Um, I gotta make sure that I don't um, list them again because I, I I thought we got him lost in the paper there, but then I found him later on like the second page. So I gotta make sure I don't say him twice. <laughs> Hopefully, I'll avoid it. So next up here we have Denise Dallas playing the health teacher. She was in the film Ray, um, 2004. Um, McNeely Siegel playing the science teacher. He was an SLC punk in 1998. I'm going to go through the whole list here just because I don't want to miss anyone because, like I said, this thing is just so shuffled of, like, here's the actor who had, like, one scene and here's an actor who was the main character of the film. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Next up, we have Giuseppe Andrews playing the role of Howard. Giuseppe Andrews is also in the film Detroit Rock City in 1999. Hey, I know that movie. (laughs) Then we have the second of two protagonists, um, Reese Witherspoon playing the role of Jennifer, the female lead protagonist. Reese Witherspoon is probably... Also, like, perhaps most well-known for her role in the Legally Blonde film in 2001. And uh, so that's incredible as well. As well as, like, Walk the Line 2005 and um, Sweet Home Alabama in 2002. And the film Wild in 2014. And a lot of other great work she's doing today and before as well. So she's had a great legacy of herself, too. The past 25 years have been great for her career. <laughs> so good for her on that front. You know, she has a cool TikTok. I follow her on TikTok. And she plays for a horse all the time. It's great. <laughs> 
She's, she's cool. Reese is a cool person. I like her. Her name's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like Reese Pieces. I didn't say I like Reese. Well, no, no, no. I just, that's like one of my favorite jokes. It's just like a kid walked in. Did you hear Reese, Reese Witherspoon? Uh, <laughs> Oh no! Reese Witherspoon got shot. Like with a gun? No, with a spoon. <laughs> no, no, with a with a spoon? No, with a gun. <laughs> it's, it's terrible. No, got stabbed with a knife. No, with a spoon. <laughs> it's terrible. Uh, Reese with her spoon. Reese without her spoon. <laughs> okay, moving on. Kyle, um, next up, we have Marissa Ribisa playing the role of Kimmy. Marissa was also in the film Days and Confused in 1993. We have Jenny Lewis playing the role of Kristen. Jenny Lewis is also in the film The Wizard in 1989. Justin um, Nemo was in, uh, playing the role of Mark. Justin Nemo was also in the show Power Rangers, Power Rangers in Space in 1998. Then we have Kay Lennox playing the role of Mark's Lackey. And Jason Burr playing the role of Mark's Lackey number two. <laughs> <laughs> then we have the legendary Don Knotts playing the role of the TV repairman, or who is essentially... Maybe God? I don't know who he's supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird. He's some weird, like, uh, like a uh, you know, magical authorial figure or something like that. Um, but um, Don Knotts uh, kind of like surpasses being a actor and more of just a cultural icon. I think he's like quintessential Americana now <laughs> in like, his legacy. Um, but of course, um, most recognizable for his role in the Andy Griffith Show from 1960 to 1968 and uh, Three's Company from 1979 to 1984. Um, he was also in 17 episodes of Matlock. You know, that's funny because uh, he came and knocked on their door. <laughs> <laughs> they were. Um, he was also like the shakiest gun in the West in 1968. That's a great yeah. film, too. Yeah, Incredible Mr. Limpet. You could go on. Uh, yeah, it goes I, to Mr. Chicken. But I think of like, the amount of like there's probably thousands of references to Don Knotts' characters from those roles oh, and other yeah. pieces of media. Like, they're like, like Family Guy, Simpsons. The, it, every single show probably has, like, a Don Knotts joke in it somewhere. And I think, like, man, if you just have, like, a mural of all of American history, Don Knotts is just in there with his face. Because <laughs> he's just that iconic of a, of a character in a role. Um, so, cool on him for that. And he plays a great role in this film. One of his last roles, too, because he passed away in, I think, 2004. Mm-hmm. So, really cool there. This so. actually was his last live-action film, although he did some cartoons and video games or whatever you, after you, this. You were talking said. about that Scooby-Doo video game, which would have came out like a couple years afterwards, I believe. So, cool there. Um, next up, we have the Robin Bessel, who played the role of the um, commercial announcer, actually, for the, um, the the Pleasantville television show you see at the beginning of the film. So, cool there, too. Um, and Robin Bissell was also in the Hunger Games 2012. I wonder if he was also an announcer for the Hunger Games movie. Maybe Ben. Um, next up, we have Harry Singleton playing the role of Mr. Simpson. Harry Singleton was in the film Unidentified in 2006. Then we have Paul Walker playing the role of Skip. Paul Walker was in a little indie film called The Fast and the Furious 2001. I don't know if anyone ever heard of it. <laughs> this isn't his first role, but I think it was like one of his breakout roles. Yeah, yeah. We were also talking about the movie um, Joyride. I think that was right. also in like 90... Might have been the same year, actually. I didn't look up the year for that one. Um, but he was also in Joyride in a few years before Fast and Furious came out. And then like, you know, he then got big later on. Fast and Furious 2. And then I think he came back in like Fast 4 or Fast 5, whatever it was. So, yeah, I get on him too. And it's unfortunate he passed away. Um, next up, we have Don Co. Cody playing the role of Betty Jean. Don Cody was in the film Phantasm Ravager in 2016. Recent production. Is that series still ongoing, Phantasm? I have no idea. Uh, do, do I think they wrapped up with Phantasm 5. Oh, okay. Was that Ravager 2016? Yeah. I don't know. Um, next up, we have Maggie Lawson playing the role of Lisa Ann. 
Maggie Robinson was also in the film Gamer in 2009 with Gerard Butler being controlled by like a 17 year old like doing murder. Can you imagine giving Kyle control of an AI? I remember one of my friends, uh, this is now his wife, which I think is hilarious, but I, I said like, oh yeah, Gamer's a great, it was a fun film, I enjoyed it, fine enough. And then he took his now wife to his very first date with that woman to go see the film Gamer. And now she's controlled him the rest of his life. <laughs> It's just that that's not a good date movie. I'm sorry. Also, first date, don't take a woman to a, woman to a movie. That's like you're not even going to talk. What are you going to do? Uh, but good, good on him for that, which I think is hilarious. I, I felt so bad when he came back. I was like, why did you tell me to go watch Gamer? Like, I didn't tell you to go on a date with it. Uh-huh. It's terrible. Um, next up, we have Andrea Baker playing the role of Peggy Jane. Andrea Baker was also in the film What Women Want in 2000 with uh, Mel Gibson in that film. Man, that's a fun we got to add to the list sometime. Um, next up, we have Mark Block, uh, Blukas playing the role of basketball hero. <laughs> Mark Blukas was also in the film Nine Day with 2010 with um, Cameron Diaz and... Uh, oh, no, that's not that movie. Was that that movie? I don't know if that was a movie now. Um, okay, we're well, moving on. We have Stan Ruflich playing the role of the, the coach. Um, Stan Ruflich was also in the film The Fast and Furious 2001 with Paul Walker. So cool there. Next up, we have Jason Maves playing the role of the paperboy. Jason Maves was in the movie um, Stepmom in 1998 as well. Then we have Gerald Emmerich playing the role of the TV weatherman. Gerald Emmerich was also in the film The Heart's Eye View in 3D in 2011. Then next up we have Charles C. Stevenson Jr. playing the role of Dr. Henderson. Charles C. Stevenson Jr. was also in the movie Ghost World in 2001. Next up we have Nancy Lunahan playing the role of Marge Jenkins. Nancy Lunahan was also in the film Catch Me If You Can in 2002. Then we have Weston Blakesley playing the role of Gus. Weston, Weston, Weston Blakesley was also in the film Kiss the Girls in 1997. Then we have Patrick Thomas O'Brien playing the role of Roy. Patrick Thomas O'Brien was also in the film The Curious Case of Bedroom Button in 2008. Next we have Jim Antonio playing the role of Ralph. Jim Antonio was also in the film Outbreak in 1995. And then, oh, J.T. Walsh. I didn't say him again, but I didn't I could go to the list again. Cool. Skip over him. Next up, we have Danny Strong playing the role of Jukebox Boy. Danny Strong was also in the film Dope Sick in 2021, just two years ago. Cool there. Next up, we have Kristen Rucher playing the role of Mary. Kristen Rucher was also in the film Fargo in 96. And then Laura Carney was also playing the role of Bridge Club Lady. She was in the film Happy Hell Nights in 1981. And that's where I'm going to include the cast list of Pleasantville so we can move on to the trivia notes and all that good stuff. Ooh, good little ding. Perfect. It's like the <laughs> ding, ding of me, dong. my completion of the cast list. I don't ding. know why it's dinging because it's on so silent. It's on silent so I don't know what's going on. You have a naughty phone. You need to punish it with the texting and weird things. Yeah. Just random numbers. Just like, ha, ha, ha. Okay, but now we're ready to move on to the All trivia right. Are you ready for the trivia section, Kyle? I'm ready, Jimbo. Uh, so writer and director Gary Ross acknowledges these cinemata- cinematographic... How do you say that? Cinemat- Cinem- cinematographic. Cin- there you go. See, even I have a Kyle word every now and then. Uh, homages, if you will. We all have a little comment. Uh, the scene of J.T. Walsh in front of the bowling alley scorecard recalls Patton's speech in front of the American flag at Patton. <laughs> I like when he's like... Come up here. And he's like, what? He's like, no, no. He's like, come up here. And yeah. he's like, show him. He pulls down. And she's burned as the it's iron hilarious. burn. Yeah. And they're all like, oh. And he's like, I went home and she said she, she didn't. She didn't have my supper. Oh. <gasps> it's so perfect. Um, 
But then also the courtroom segregated into black and white characters downstairs and colored characters upstairs uh, recalls To Kill a Mockingbird, if you remember yep. uh, that Some, movie. And similar real-world you know, distinctions being made in real right, life as well. Right, yeah, I mean, because you can take a lot of this... Um, as a historical algorithm? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, which, between the black and white characters and the uh, colored characters, if you will, that are yeah. full of color. Yeah, yeah. Um, or just any representation of any minorities, too. There's definitely, right. like, sort of like uh, you're kind of like, you know, like, if Jewish people or uh, other, like, people of color or people of different faith and this or sexualities, even. So, kind of, that they're, you know, any minority kind of applies to the color people of this. And world. I don't know if you caught this either, but the uh, Native American and the test pattern behind Don Knotts in the movie changes from having no expression to angry and then sad as the movie progresses. Oh. <laughs> so, if you've ever, you remember when he shows up on the TV? Yeah, That, yeah. that Indian in the background, uh, the Native American, he changes he, his expression. I wonder if he's actually reflecting kind of Donnie Knotts, Don Knotts um, kind of uh, opinion of the whole series there but i don't know do you think that was all part of don Knotts' plan because at the end he's smiling <sighs> we'll get there gosh yeah we'll get there uh during the publicity campaign surrounding the film's release there was a contest for a trip to pleasantville iowa the smallest pleasantville in the united states hmm, cool uh, in the uh, in the original screenplay, the TV repairman was to be named Rob and played by none other than Dick Van Dyke, who played Rob Petrie on the Dick Van Dyke Show. In a subsequent draft, the name in the script was simply TV repairman, leaving room for Don Knotts. Knotts played Deputy Barney Fife and Andy Griffith, of course. Uh, when Knotts dropped out as Andy, uh, Dick's brother Jerry Van Dyke was encouraged to play the replacement deputy, but this never happened. That would be really cool, too. Uh, when Jennifer enters Pleasantville, she becomes a character named Mary Sue. Mary Sue is a term that originated in a fan fiction to describe a character who comes into the character's lives and completely solves all of their problems. It is also a fan fiction term for an idealized and seemingly perfect fictional character, a young or low-ranked person who saves the day through uh, unrealistic abilities. Often this character is recognized as an author, insert, or wish fulfillment. Kind of character, yeah. Since every scene from the middle of the movie on had to be in some way digitally changed to have black and white characters interact with characters who are in color, technically this film has the most digital effects shots until Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. That's incredible. Yeah. But also so well done. Very so well done. Yeah. Uh, the jukebox in Mr. Johnson's Mall Shop is a 1952 Seaberg M100C known in collector circles as the Happy Days jukebox due to its prominent appearance in the sitcom. Mm -hmm. uh, the scores projected during the bowling alley scene indicate that all the bowlers are on pace for the final scores of 230 or better. Two bowlers have perfect scores through eight frames. <laughs> impressive incredible yeah. yeah it's almost like everything goes perfect in this world especially when about. they're shooting the basketball remember and then the one guy misses and he's like they're like stay away from before. i don't know the old guy away from the ball it's like i don't know what this is but i don't like it <laughs> <laughs> so good uh don knotts was not available to return for looping so craig shoemaker um imitated knotts's voice for the uncredited narration the Backlot Street where Bud and Mary Sue's house stands is located at Warner Brothers Ranch Studio Complex in Burbank, California. The main house was a new facade built for the movie, but directly across the street, clearly seen in several scenes, are houses once occupied by other famous 1960s television characters like Gidget, Hazel, and yes, Samantha Stevens. It is the Gidget Hazel house that was also used as Roger Merlot's house in the Lethal Weapon film franchise. 
Margaret's house, where Whitey drives up his car at night and drops her off, was used as the residence of Mrs. Kravitz and Bewitched and the Partridge family. Wow. That's really impressive detail. And I like the idea of, like, you know, like they said later in the film, which is like, like, like for the moment, where like anytime they kind of drove away, it would just loop back to Pleasantville. But I would love the idea also, of like if they just, if you just drive away, you just go into another show entirely or something like that. You would just fall into the other lot almost of like going from one studio um, room to the other, basically like that. You're just going to another show, that Pleasantville adjacent thing. You know, right. what was what was on the what was the next studio over <laughs> kind of thing. Right, cool. Yeah. So uh, Bud brings Mr. Johnson an art book from the library titled "The World of Art" by an author named Edward Bissell. The book is a prop made for the film, and the author is fictional. Hmm. Though many believe that the shot of Bud raising his arms up and triumph during a rainstorm is a homage to the Shawshank Redemption, writer and director Gary Ross thought it was an original idea and didn't realize the connection until after the film was released. <laughs> Oops. That's funny. Uh, the author of the book that Mary Sue is reading, D.H. Lawrence, was an early 20th century author, poet, playwright, essayist, and literary critic. His works were considered highly controversial when they were written and confronted issues such as emotional health and vitality, spontaneity, human sexuality, and instinct. Yeah. A lot of taboos are now a lot more openly discussed, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, when David and Jennifer first arrive in Pleasantville and are flipping through the television channels after Don Knotts first appears, uh, there is a very quick clip of Leave it to Beaver with the beaver standing by a chair. Uh, Melissa Joan Hart turned down the role of Jennifer slash Mary Sue. Danny Strong and Mark Blucas both played significant characters on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, while Paul Morgan Stetler, Denise Dowse, uh, Jason Bear, Andre Baker, and Nancy Lennon all had minor roles throughout the show's run. Yeah. Uh, the film is dedicated to writer and director Gary Ross's mother, actor J.T. Walsh, and camera assistant Brent Lon Hirschman, who was killed in a car crash in the middle of the shoot. So lost three people during the filming of that. That's sad. Uh, Rachel Lee Cook auditioned for the role of Jennifer, which I think she would have been okay. Mm -hmm. um, this was Don Knotts' last live-action appearance in theatrically released film. He still continued to work on various television and cartoon projects, which we mentioned earlier. Yeah. You still have that voice for your entire life. That's a great voice. Yeah. Uh, when Bud is asked how he knew how... You know what? I just thought of this. What's how that? would you like to have Don Knotts' voice as your GPS... <laughs> Turn oh. right up here. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's where I have to like, admit, like, maybe Don Knotts is just good in small doses. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't listen to the hey, Don Knotts podcast. Just nip it in the bud. <laughs> exactly. uh, when Bud is asked how he knew how to handle the fire, it's mentioned that the books have now started to fill and the plot is described. Of describing the plot of the adventures of Huckleberry Finn to the diner, he is asked about another book. The title is not mentioned by name, but the character of Holden Caulfield is mentioned. That means the book in question is none other than Catcher in the Rye. Right, yeah. Have you read that, Scott? Yes, I have, actually. It's really good. Did it have pictures? Yeah, no. <laughs> no, no, actually, uh, my, my grandfather actually wrote the book. One of those oh, books. Nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, in the bowling alley scene, when the elder men decide to do something about the chaos unfolding around them, a very popular black and white cinematic trick known as the Dutch tilt or Dutch angle, often noticed in the Twilight Zone and Sir Alfred Hitchcock shows, was utilized. The camera is tilted to create a crooked, dark, disorienting shot, emphasizing madness and discontent, thus making the viewer feel uneasy. Actually, I remember watching because like that, the Dutch angle became like a taboo, and I think Hollywood circles because of the film Battlefield Earth with John Travolta, which Terrible is movie. overused Dutch angles 
like every other shot was a Dutch angle based like that too. But it wasn't until I watched um, literally this this year I watched the uh, Haunting in Venice, that new Detective Perot movie. I to watch it's it. it's really really good. But that film also like it was the first film I saw where it had like not like noticeably bad in a way, but like hey a lot of Dutch angle shots specifically because of this film was kind of like uh, the Haunting in Venice kind of traded a little bit in horror cliches a little bit. And each time they were kind of leaning into that, they were starting to literally lean the frame to be a touch angle for a lot of those shots. It was really cool. So yeah, Haunting in Venice, good movie by the way. Kyle, no animal were harmed during the making of this film not Good even the cab the trace so the American Humane Society was on uh, close on hand free to endorse this film that. Good. at one point when Jennifer tries to use the bathroom there aren't any toilets this is a clever reference to an FCC ruling during the 1950s which state that toilets or any reference to their use such as the sound of flushing could not be pre- presented on television while this continued on broadcast television well into the late 70s the barrier in movies fell in 1960 two years after the Pleasantville scenario when Sir Alfred Hitchcock Persuaded the film censors to allow the flushing of a toilet in Psycho because it was integral to the iconic shower scene. Yeah. When David and Jennifer first arrive in Pleasantville, they're surprised to discover that all the books are blank. This is a dig at how the books used on live action TV shows are often just blank props. <laughs> oh. Yeah, what also it helps illustrate like this is a world devoid of any contra- you know in- anything to learn you know like there's nothing here like it's all so simple and wholesome nothing up here really has value of like a deeper level to it which is you know kind of damning Ashley <laughs> uh, the nude painting uh, and the crowd's reaction was likely based on Amedio Modigliani's paintings in his 1917 art show. In Paris, that was shut down by police. Let me butcher the pronunciation. I want to see it. Yeah, it's right here. Me, right there. Right, thank you. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ace this perfectly. Um, it, <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Amadio. Um, yeah. Maggiuliani. 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 Yeah, it's a hard I'm sorry, sir. M O D I G L I A N I. Yeah. Maggiuliani's. We both nailed it. Don't worry. When the Pleasantvillians discover that there are other towns in the world, the first one to get the bus access with Pleasantville is Springfield. This was the name of the Anywhere USA setting of Father Knows Best, one of the ideal 1950s family sitcoms, and, of course, The The Simpsons, Simpsons. which borrowed the name as a humorous tribute to the old show. And last but not least, the window-smashing attack on Bill's Diner and the book-burning attack on the library are based on iconic images from Nazi Germany. I was also going to think race rights and stuff like that, too. So, Kyle, tell me about Pleasantville. This film is fantastic. It deserved all the awards like, it, like, it won and many other nominations it was nominated for. Um, this was released in, like you kind of demonstrated earlier there, in an incredibly um, f- um, competitive year um, to be noticed. And this, it's... And it's amazing how well, like, the years of, like, it stood the test of time 25 years later now of, like, everyone goes back to this film. It's still an iconic year. Many of the films in 98 are now considered iconic, but I think this film actually rises above now. Like, you said it released, like, like 51st of that year. Now I'd probably say it's probably around the top 10 of that year, actually, like that, even though it's such a strong year already. So that's incredible, like, that, uh, of itself. And there's just so much going on about, like, you know, what they're saying about culture, what they're saying about race, what they're saying about, like, how... Um, uh, 
you know, like how devoid of like any meaningful messages a lot of those older shows are kind of given. Like they were a little more wholesome. There were still good things to be said, but at the same time, though, they didn't deal with so many of the the realities of the world that we now confront today, um, or, or back then, even like that. You know, um, so much about television back then was avoiding all problems and not even acknowledging the resistance. Where now, a lot more shows go a lot further. I'm like, hey, actually, everything exists, and you can deal with it. It'll be okay. Kind of a mindset sometimes. So I think this film is very strong. This film is kind of goes as far as like a 9 out of 10 for me of being like one of the best films ever made, actually. And I highly recommend any film fan go watch it. Any kind of old old TV show fan go into like, if you like you know anything to watch, Pleasantville is worth watching. And it has a lot to say, and I think it's a very strong film. You know, Gary Ross um, did a few other films as well. I think like uh, the, the, the Matthew McConaughey film, like The Free State of Jones, like that too. But I think this is going to be probably his strongest film for the rest of his career, more than likely. So good news on him there. So that's kind of overall my final thoughts on the film Pleasantville. I'm sure there's a lot more to be said. Definitely like the YouTube rabbit hole of film analysis will go down for hours on that kind of stuff. But for this podcast, I think we can just say this film is excellent and everyone should go see it. But I'll move on to Jimbo. What are your thoughts on this film? Uh, I, I got to agree with you. I think the cinematography alone in this movie, just from going from the colored to the uh, or the black and white to the colored, and then this, the scene that I always come back to. There's two of them. One of them is when the mom is in the kitchen at the, the uh, sink, and Bud walks in because he's like, "Honey, can you bring us some whatever?" And Bud walks in there. And she's over there, and she turns around, and she's in color. And she's like, what am I going to do? I can't go out there like this. He says, you got makeup. And he takes her makeup, and he starts stroking it on her face, and it's turning her back to black and white. Mm-hmm. And then he shows her, and she looks just like she was in black and white. Um, yeah. That one. And then um, at the end, when uh, William H. Macy's character is like, he's like, because at this point, the mom and dad are pretty much split up. Yeah. And they're in the courtroom, and he's like, Dad, look at her. You know, Do you really want her to go back to what she was? Isn't she beautiful the way she is? Which I think is the overall uh, yeah. thing of this movie. You're perfect just the way you are. And he's like, and he's, you see him start tearing up, and he's like, uh, she's beautiful, you know, basically, and I don't want her to go back. And it shows the scene of him in black and white, and then, like, Bud is standing there, and then when he moves out of the way, he's he is in full color himself. Yeah. And not only that, but then he invokes the emotion of the... Big Bob, the mayor. The, yeah. the mayor. And you see him, he's like, no, no. And then you just see the color just whoop, go right to his face. Yeah. And I thought, this is so well done. Um, it's a cinematic uh, masterpiece just from the... Colorization, yeah. uh, it's it's perfect. Yeah. And she was like, to, like the like I love like the characters like they they, they become color when they're at the heights of their emotion is when they're the most real of themselves, good or bad. Yeah, you know, I don't think like I don't think the mayor Big Bob was ever like convinced of anything at the end of that movie about what he thought about conservatism or like what he thought like everything should go back to Pleasantville. But in that his own expression of anger and frustration with the world, that is the truest expression of himself, and that's why it became right. full of color um, in a way where it's like you're interesting now. <laughs> you're not a boring one dimensional character. And there's just several scenes like yeah. where they're going to pick on a uh, Bud's Bud and uh, Mary Sue's mom uh, yeah. because she's in color now. And, you know, he, uh, Toby Maguire runs over there and punches the one kid and he looks down and he's got blood and it's red on his hand even though he's a black and white character. It's yeah. just so well done. Yeah. To me, this is almost, almost a perfect movie. Um, just yeah. for your, the emotional roller coaster you go on, it's it's really crazy. Um, yeah. To me, yeah. I, I would give it a nine, nine and a half. Yeah. Uh, just this and is about I as strong Reese. as you get without just going full on perfect. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I love Reese Witherspoon. Yeah. Um, Reese Witherspoon. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this cast is an all star cast. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Something I'm thinking about just right now as we're recording this podcast, David, like, because we have a little character named Mary Sue in this film. If any character is a Mary Sue in the, in, in like, the, 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 
the kind of def- def- definition you gave earlier for like the character all serving, but is that character? He's such a perfect guy of like he's he's nice to everyone like that. But even when he gets in a fight, he's fighting off the the Nazi or racist allegory <laughs> like that too. He's like the best person ever. He's the he's like Gary Ross's self insert character of like what's a good boy? <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> and I was really surprised that Bud did not stay there in Pleasantville. That he decided to go back home. He wanted to face the real world and a, be a good person there. Is a, there. There's yeah. a lot of similarities between what's happening in Pleasantville with Bud and then what's happening with his mom in real life and dad mm. in real life. So you see the similarities there between us. Yeah, yeah, the TV yeah. family and his family. Yeah. Background, well, it's also so. it's clear that he he used you know he used this Pleasantville as a, a you know he used the Pleasantville television as a form of pure escapism that he just wanted to go to that pure wholesome world. But at the end of the film, he's realizing like he can be that wholesome person and bring it to the real world in right. a very good way. You know, he is the the truest expression of what Bud was in the television show brought to the real world almost. Um, whereas Reese Witherspoon's character is the reverse of like she is a corrupted kind of person, but she goes to the wholesome world and like brings color to it in her own way. And it doesn't yeah. really say how long they were in Pleasantville, but at the end of the movie, they've only been gone less than an hour, about an hour. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I mean, think like five hours into the marathon, like they went through a few episodes of the television show. That's all they went through, essentially. Like, yeah, I think it was only an hour. Uh, yeah, in, in real time, it was only an hour. Oh, I think yeah. it, that's what they yeah say when he actually comes back. Yeah. Like, we just got got through the first hour of the twenty four right. hour marathon or something like that too. So, so impressive on through. Uh, this is definitely one that I suggest anybody to watch because it's just so beautifully done. The story is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but what do I know? Nothing. <laughs> So if you would like to follow us on the social media as we are the Tragedy of Cinema podcast, um, I'm Jimbo, he's Kyle. That's right. Uh, <laughs> so loud. I agree with that. Glad <laughs> thing I'm not Kyle and he's not Jimbo. So with that being said, I think this episode is coming to a close and that's a wrap. And cut. <laughs>